morning. My name is Pastor Brad. I'm the worst parts pastor here at New Life. If this is your first time with us here today, we're so thankful that you're here. We plan for you to be here. Hope that you've had a great experience so far being here with us at New Life today. Uh, if you're a regular attender, I want to welcome you back. Thanks so much for being here, part of our church family today. I want to take a moment and make a special welcome to those of you watching online. Uh, thanks so much for joining us and being part of our church family as we worship and hear uh, from the Word of God today. We're so glad that you're all here with us as we dive into part two of our series, The Four Wills of God. You know, in the New Testament, we learn that uh, God's will is actually very clear. And as Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus in here, you've probably asked this question, what is God's will for my life? And what we're discovering through this series is that God's will is clear and accessible to us all. God's, God's will is clear and accessible to us all because Jesus, the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Peter all tell us a part of what God's ultimate will is. And, and of that, in the New Testament, we find four explicit definitions of the will of God. And here's the most important thing that we understand. When we know the will of God, then we can accomplish the work that God has given us to do specifically with tremendous freedom. And we all know, we learned last week, and if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go on to newlifexn.org and watch the video or download the New Life app even while I'm talking. I won't be offended. And you can watch that video, although don't watch it right now because that might offend me. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, but watch that video to get a good understanding of, of this foundation. But the, but the reality is that God has given us specific work to do. The Apostle Paul tells us that in Ephesians chapter 2. He was writing to a church in Ephesus, and here's what he told them. He said, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God has specific work for you and for me to accomplish here on the earth under the umbrella and within the framework of his will. And when we know his will, then we can accomplish that work pretty much whenever and wherever we want to as we discern what that work is through our relationship with our heavenly father. So the, knowing the will of God brings tremendous freedom to our lives as we want to accomplish that work. So what is the will of God? What is the will of God? Well, when we read through the New Testament, the four particular places where uh, the, the writers of the letters or Jesus himself as he's speaking and the accounts given of him tell us specifically that this is the will of God or this is my father's will for you or this is God's will for you. And, and listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, when, wherever you're at, as you're part of this thing called the kingdom of God and you're part of this family where God is the heavenly father, then we need to be paying attention when we see things like this is God's will. Or this is God's will for you. Or this is our Heavenly Father's will. Because what that means is that, hey, ding, 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 something's going off in our head saying, hey, this is my Father's will. I should probably pay close attention to that so that I can participate in his will. So here are the four explicit wills of God named in the New Testament by Paul, Peter, and Jesus. Number one, believe in Jesus. Number two, give thanks in everything. Number three, submit in doing right. And finally, number four, abstain from sexual sin. Believe in Jesus, give thanks in everything, submit in doing right, and abstain from sexual sin. And when we live our lives within this framework, 
then whatever it is that God has given us to do, we can accomplish knowing that we are operating within the will of God. Last week, we learned that the first, and and to be honest with you, the most important will of God is for people, all people, to believe in Jesus. Because we have to believe in Jesus if we're going to do the will of God. We cannot do the will of God if we do not believe in Jesus. And, And as I mentioned last week, when we try to figure out our lives outside of the context of relationship with God, we're going to try everything and we're going to find satisfaction in nothing. It's only when we put our lives into the context of a relationship with God by believing in Jesus that we find the life that God has for us. But we have to make that decision. The decisions we make now matter for eternity. Jesus made clear that we only have this life to make a decision to follow Jesus. And that decision is absolutely crucial if we want to live in the will of God. We cannot live in the will of God if we have not willed to follow him. So we have to make a decision to follow Jesus. It has to be an act of our will, of our mind, of our heart, that we're going to pursue Jesus, that we are going to believe in him. And then when we believe in him, we're welcomed into his family. He becomes our heavenly father. He becomes our Lord and savior. He becomes the one. Our possessions are no longer ours. They're his. We are serving him. And when we're serving him, then we live in the context of his will and we can know his will and find life in doing that. So that's the starting point. We must believe in Jesus. Then when we believe in Jesus, we can step into the second will of God, which is to give thanks in everything. Give thanks in everything. So the Apostle Paul was writing to a church uh, in, in a city called Thessalonica. And as he's writing this letter to this church, he's, he's packing a lot into the last part of his letter. And, and we all know that last words are significant, right? I mean, if you knew somebody that was passing away and they wanted to talk to you, wouldn't you do every, anything you could to get to them? Because you know that those last words are very, very meaningful. They're very powerful. They're weighty. Well, it's the same way for Paul. Paul's trying to pack a lot of stuff into the, this letter to the Thessalonian church that we know as First Thessalonians, and, and he's writing this letter. And listen, we have to understand something. We live 2,000 years later. Paul didn't know if he was going to write a second or a third letter to Thessalonica. He just knew that he was writing, and he had to pack in what he needed to pack in. And so he goes in, and he starts listing off, don't do this, do this. This is really important. Pay attention to this. And as we go through 1 Thessalonians, particular chapter 5, we find something very explicit as it pertains to the will of God. And here's what Paul said. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So Paul, in sharing his last words with the Thessalonian church in his first letter, he says, listen, do you want to know God's will for your life? Here's at least part of it, is to give thanks in everything. Give thanks in all circumstances. If If you're a follower of Jesus in here, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you need to pay close attention to this. We need to give thanks in all circumstances because that's God's will for us. And I mean, you know, if I was a, in Thessalonica and I was at that church and, and I read that letter, I would be like, seriously, Paul? 
You know, it's really easy to be thankful when things are going well, right? I mean, like if you have the job that you've always wanted, you've got that relationship that you've always wanted, things are going well with your kids, right? It's, it's easy to be like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But, but when things aren't going well, like when your parents die or maybe your children die or you lose that job and you were fired because of something you didn't even do, or maybe when you lose everything in the, in the next recession. Or maybe a natural disaster hits and it wipes out everything that we own. Whatever it is, Paul, seriously be thankful? How can we be thankful in those experiences? And Paul makes very clear in all circumstances. You know, I, I looked at the Greek because I wanted to see if the word all was really the word all. And unfortunately it is. <laughs> so in all circumstances, in good times and in bad times, we are to give thanks because it is the will of God for us. Be thankful in all circumstances. Paul is very serious. We're to be thankful in everything. And the question, why does a good God let bad things happen is a, is a legitimate question. But the reality is we live in a sin-broken world and bad things are going to happen. And so today, rather than focus on the why, which I, I'm sure we'll do later on in a different series, today we're going to focus on the how because it's more important for us to know that God wants us to be thankful in all circumstances and know how to do that rather than just to know the why. And so we're going to step into the how today so that we can learn. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus, our model. The scriptures say he's the author, the perfecter of our faith. And we're going to see from Jesus' life a particular situation that will help us find the posture for thankfulness in our lives. So the night that Jesus was arrested, he had been betrayed by one of his closest friends he was arrested, about to be scourged, and then eventually killed. But before that all happened, Jesus was praying. And he was praying in this garden, and, and he was praying for something specific. Jesus demonstrated thankfulness to us in this posture of prayer that he had because he was praying not for himself, but for his disciples that were with him. And then he says, not only for them, but for all of the disciples who will ever believe in me. And so Jesus, as he's about to endure the cross, is actually not praying for himself, but he's praying for people. And so Jesus shows us how to be thankful in all circumstances because this was Jesus' darkest hour. It was the hour before everything was going to come crashing down, or so it seemed. But Jesus was focused on doing what God wanted him to do. And so Jesus prayed. And what Jesus shows us is that if we want to be thankful in everything, and we're going to see this in his prayer because we're going to look at this in John chapter 17. If we want to be thankful, no matter what, we have to have an outward focus, not an inward focus. If we want to be thankful, no matter what, we must focus outward, not inward. I want to encourage you throughout this series to pull out this outline, which is in your connection, 
If, if so, this is not something you typically do, I understand that very much. But I want to encourage you to fill this out. In particular, if this is something that you are struggling with, that you fill this out and take this home and put it where you can see it every day. I have scriptures located in some places in my house that help me focus my heart on things that I am not naturally good at focusing on. And this, this can serve as that tool for you. And I want to encourage you, even if you don't typically take notes, I believe this is really, really important for our relationship with God. So please uh, use those notes um, to help you and, and, and launch into this relationship with him. I want to encourage you. So we need to focus outward, not inward. Focus outward, not inward. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this prayer, and we're going to find some practical steps that we can take to practice thankfulness in all circumstances. So let, let's look at step one. Step one, focus on future glory. Focus on future glory. Jesus is praying. He says, Father, the hour has come. You see, Jesus knew what was about to happen. And he says, glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. Jesus was about to be killed. And he's saying, Father, glorify me so that I can glorify you. Jesus was not focused on his own glory. He was not focused, which is so easy for us, on himself. He was focused outward on the glory of his heavenly Father so that when people would come back to this situation, they would look at Jesus and be like, wow, we want to glorify his heavenly Father. And you know, what's incredible about this is that Jesus could have spoken a word and legions of angels could have come and saved Jesus. And do you know that that would have made a name for Jesus, wouldn't it? Jesus could have had all the glory that he wanted if he would have just called down these legions of angels and take out the Romans and all of the chief priests and the Pharisees and people who were speaking against him. He could have done that. He told us that. He could have done that with one word. But he chose not to do that. He chose instead to focus outward, not inward, to bring the most glory to his heavenly Father. He chose to follow the will of God. In fact, Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done in this same prayer. Not my will, but your will be done. And what's God's will? God's will was for Jesus to be killed and to raise him back to life again so that we could participate in the will of God by believing in him. So Jesus was focused outward on the glory of God. He was postured in thankfulness by focusing outward on God's glory. So here's a question for clarity for us. Would people be able to glorify God if they looked at your life today? Would people be able to glorify God if they looked at your life today? If the answer to that question is yes, praise God for that. If the answer to that question is, I don't know, then we might have a little bit of work to do by allowing and yielding to the Holy Spirit, allowing him to bring the Father glory through our lives because we want to focus on the future glory, what God is doing now and what he's going to do in eternity. As Jesus said, he will lead us there when we believe in him. So let's let our lives demonstrate that. And when we do that, we can be thankful. 
because it gives us perspective on the future of what God has for us. Step two, focus on the Father. Focus on the Father. Jesus said, I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Jesus makes clear that God the Father is the one who wants everyone to be part of his family. And those who believe in Jesus receive the right to become children of God and then become, become sons and daughters of our heavenly Father. And so, guys, today we need to understand that God loves us and wants us to be part of his family. He wants us to come under his will so that he can bring us life, life that we've longed for, life that we've been looking for everywhere. And it comes as we just simply, honestly, spend time with our heavenly father. And when we spend time with our heavenly father, just as Jesus had done all of his life and is doing here before he is about to be killed, we remember that we belong to him. He is the one who decided to send his son to live for us, die for us, and raise, be raised back to life for us. Why did he do that? Because he loved us and he wants us to be part of his family. So focusing on the father is key because here's the thing, guys. He's not like our earthly fathers. Listen, I have a great dad. I really do, but he is not perfect. And some of you have really bad dads, and I understand that. But we need to know that our, perfect, our Heavenly Father is perfect. His love for us is complete. I mean, what kind of God sends his own son to live and die for me, knowing my hurts, habits, and hang-ups? It's a God who's a father who just loves me so much and loves you so much that he gave everything for us to be part of his family. So here's a question for clarity for us. When was the last time you invested time alone with your perfect and loving Heavenly Father? When was the last time you spent time alone with your perfect and loving Heavenly Father? You see, when we spend focused time alone and we invest that time in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, then we can receive from Him this love that he has, that he just longs to pour out onto us if we just slow down and receive it from him. So we got to spend time with the Father. And when we do that, out of a position of love, we can be thankful. Because no matter what's happening around us, we know we have a Father who loves us and cares for us and is going to provide for us in this life and in the next. Step number three, focus on the word. Focus on the word. Jesus is speaking to his father. He says, now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word. Focus on the word. Jesus was speaking the words of God to the people. The Apostle John says, in the beginning, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, 
The word was God. And then a little bit later in chapter 1, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what the Apostle John is trying to help us understand is that Jesus himself is the word of God. And so when we read his words, in his words are life. And not just life like we know it, but like real, eternal life. And what happens is when we receive those words into our hearts, they stir up joy from deep down inside of us. And we go, where is this coming from? This does not make any sense. But there is just joy when I read the word of God and when I take it in and I live out what Jesus said. It's just like joy. And let me just be very honest with you. Jesus, in speaking to the the people, the crowds that were around him in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, he goes through a bunch of things that honestly I wish he would have never said because it seems like it would be really hard to do. But one in particular, he said, and if you're a guy in here, you're probably going to connect with this a little bit. He said, do not commit, you've heard this said, do not commit adultery. And, And most of the people around him who were listening to this, in particular the Pharisees, they're going, well, never done that. Jesus says, well, I tell you, Whoever looks at a woman with lust in his heart commits adultery. And so what Jesus did is he kind of took the law and he, he made it. He's like, listen, this is actually really God's standard that in your heart where, where everything matters because it's where in your heart that you make these decisions. It's where all the nastiness kind of comes from. You know, when you, when you have that in your heart, that's not a good thing. And so what Jesus says is don't do that. And a lot of us, we hear that and we go, man, that feels like it should be a burden. But Jesus actually said, listen, my words to you are not a burden. They actually, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what's the point of his teaching then on this? Well, his point is this, that if we will not do that thing, if we will not, if we will not lust in our hearts, guess what? There is life hidden underneath those words. And when we do what Jesus tells us to do, when we focus on the word in our lives, then we find freedom. We find the life that we've always wanted. It's there when we obey, when we follow him. A little bit later, Jesus says, do not judge. How many of you have ever judged? You look at somebody and you go, wow, I shouldn't have worn that. (laughs) Ryder, man, that person's just an idiot. You know, I mean, right? That just comes natural to us, doesn't it? It's really easy for us to judge and then gossip the crap about it, right? I mean, we just, that just is like what we do as humans. And Jesus says, hey, don't do that. Why? Because there's life when we don't. There's life in the word of God. One time, two, two guys were coming back after the resurrection. They're going to their hometown of Emmaus and they're traveling on the road, and the third guy comes up, and they were talking, and the third guy says, hey, what's going on? And these two guys are like, what's going on? Where you been, man? Like, a guy was just killed, and then he was raised back to life again in Jerusalem. You, you, you didn't hear about this? No, no, tell me more. So, so they told them about what happened to Jesus in Jerusalem, and then all of a sudden, this guy begins to tell and teach them that from the beginning of time, that was actually God's plan to send Jesus to live a life we couldn't live, die a death we should have died, be raised back to life again, overcoming sin and death forever, and offer us brand new life through faith in him. He begins to explain that to them, and these guys are like eating it up, and they're walking along, and they get to their hometown, and, and, and they're still receiving this teaching, and, and the guy was going to keep going. 
And these two disciples were like, no, 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 listen, we need you to stay and keep talking to us because this is good. Like, this is really good. So would you just stay and would you just talk to us and, and teach us? And so, so the, the guy stays with them and they sit down to have a meal and they break the bread. And in the moment that they break the bread, they realize they were speaking to Jesus, the son of God. And then Jesus does something that only he could do. He disappears. It's a cool thing. He just disappears. And those guys, just inside of them, there's this fire that was lit when they were hearing the word of God actually speaking to them. And here's how they remember it. Look what he says. Luke 24, verse 32. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scripture to us? Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? God's word is alive and active And it stirs up inside of us joy, if we'll let it. So here's a question for clarity for us. How often do I open my heart to receive from the well of God's word? How often do I open my heart to receive from the well of God's word? Now, I came up with a really cool phrase that I would love for you all to post everywhere on every social media. You don't even have to give me credit. But I think this is really good. Only Jesus could bring joy from holy heartburn. Right? Think about it. Our hearts burn within us. You know, Jesus, joy. It's good. I don't care what y'all think. (laughs) That's good stuff. Only Jesus could do that. And when we receive his word, it just lights us up. So focus on the word. Step number four, this is it. Focus on the family. Focus on the family. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So Jesus is saying, to those who believe in me, they become a part of your kingdom, but they also become a part of your family. And as part of your family, they need to live in unity. And living in unity and living in a family means that we're going to protect and provide for one another. The early church demonstrated this very, very effectively. I mean, like literally, they sold everything that they had and gave it to the poor who were among them so that they could live together. They just loved each other. They provided for, they protected one another. And that's what God is calling us to. I'm not saying you need to go home and sell everything today. But if the Lord tells you to do it, you better do it. Just heads up, okay? But, but he probably won't. But the reality is that we must be focused together as a church family. Because when one of us is hurting, another person can come and build that person up. When one of us celebrates, we can all come together and we can celebrate together. And when life is just honestly normal and kind of you're just, you know, trudging through it, it's great to have a family to help you go through that. Because when we have a family around us, they can remind us of the future glory. They can remind us we have a father who gave everything for us. 
And they can speak the word of God to us. And as that happens, we can get into that posture of thankfulness, no matter what's happening, good or bad. So if we will do these four things, if we will practice these four things together, then we can be like Jesus in a posture of thanksgiving and following the will of God in all circumstances. But here's the, probably one of the most important things about all of this. Why is thankfulness a will of God for us? Why is thankfulness a will of God for us? Well, our take-home point tells us today. And it's, it's basically this, and I want to read it to you. Giving thanks disarms the enemy and clears the way for us to know God's will. Giving thanks disarms the enemy and clears the way for us to know God's will. If the enemy can keep us from giving thanks, then he can begin to isolate us from our family. He can begin to push us away from the future glory. He can begin to push us away from the Father who loves us so much. He, he, he definitely will try his hardest to push us away from the word of God because he wants to isolate us so he can destroy us. And Jesus, in his prayer, as he's focusing outward, not inward, as he's praying for his disciples, he's demonstrating to us a heart of thanksgiving towards his heavenly Father for what he's going to do for his disciples. And in that posture of thanksgiving, the enemy has no power. But if the enemy can get us to say, I hate this, or I don't care about that, or God's not good. If, if the enemy can get us to say it in our head and then eventually say it with our mouth, then we'll actually believe it in our heart, then he's isolating us and he's about to destroy us. So instead, if we say, thank you, God, for this life you've given me, Thank you for the future glory. Thank you for being a father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for my church family. Even in the darkest hour of my life, thank you. The enemy has no power over us in that. And that's what Jesus knew. And that's why Jesus prayed that before he was to be crucified. So what can we do this week? Well, our next step is to actually practice this and give thanks. That's what our next step says. I will give thanks in everything this week. I will give thanks in everything this week. So we focused a lot on the how to do that. And I hope that you'll take that with you and begin to live that out this week. That you focus on the future glory. That you'll focus on the Father. You'll focus on the Word. And focus on the family. And allow that external focus to feed your thanksgiving no matter what you're facing in your life right now. Because that is God's will for you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life that we couldn't live, that you give to us. His death that we should have died. And for raising him back to life again so that we could have this brand new life in him, whereby you fill us with your spirit and we can yield to you and then we can be 
thankful in all circumstances because we have a future glory and a father and word that is alive and active and a family. And Father, today I pray that you would just help us to posture our lives after Jesus, who was even in his darkest hour thankful for you and his relationship with you. And my prayer is today, God, that we will be thankful no matter what for our relationship with you today, that you would receive all the glory and honor and praise as we practice your will in Jesus' name. Amen.